0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Dean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Dean visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, morning, everyone. It's great to see so many happy, smiling faces. See, as soon as I said that, everyone smiled. Suggestive. Um, but yeah, it's <clears throat> it's good just to be able to come together into the presence of God and to worship Him. And this morning, we're just going to look at what it really means to worship. Now, going by the uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the English word for worship means Adoration, veneration, exaltation, and the magnification of God. It's when we respect, esteem, love, admire, and even dote on God that we are worshipping Him. And you see, worship is totally concerned with the worthiness of God, not the worthiness of God worshipper. Now if we look into the Old Testament, one Hebrew word that occurs consistently and is used for worship of God is shakar. It occurs 172 times and it can be translated as to bow down, to make obeisance, that's reverence, to do reverence, to fall down, to prostrate, to stoop, to, to crouch, to beseech humbly. And you see, every use of that word, shakar, in the Old Testament indicates an action. So worship wasn't meant to be passive, it was meant to be active. Now when we get to the New Testament, the most commonly used word for worship is proskunio. I love that word, and it's used at least 59 times, and it means to kiss towards, to kiss towards. Some scholars say it means to kiss the hand in admiration. Others say it would better signify kissing the feet in homage. You see, that New Testament word "proskuneo" I think, is more descriptive than the old Hebrew word. To the bowing is added kissing, and that requires contact. You see, we can bow at a great distance, but we can't kiss at a great distance. Kissing requires contact. And God wants contact. He wants us to make contact with him. So worship is more than an attitude. It's an attitude expressed. You know, oftentimes I come to church and I really don't feel like it. You know, you might have had a bad day, you might have had an argument. Um, You might be thinking, well, I've got to go because I'm one of the leaders at the church and I need to be there. That's not the right attitude. That doesn't, what does that say about me? It says a lot about the condition of my heart. And when we feel like that, it really does speak to us about the condition of our heart. You see, the magnitude of the attitude determines the measure of the actions. And a lukewarm heart cannot perform boiling hot worship. Nor can a rebellious life revere God with any depth of sincerity. See, God wants authenticity. He wants us to be real. He wants our heart. And we can pretend, and I'm sure there's a lot of times when you go to a lively worship, there's a lot of people who are just caught up with the music and the atmosphere and the ambience, but they're not really worshipping God from their heart. But sometimes if, you know, it's silent and people are not really doing anything descriptive or active that also can say something about the condition of our heart see what's going on in the heart determines what's going on in the outward expression of worship and that's maybe the reason why at times our worship seems dry there's something wrong on the inside and I know that's true of me if, I'm, if the worship's dry, if I'm dry, it's nothing to do with God, it's all to do with me. It can't be God's fault if our worship doesn't seem exciting. So as we've seen, there's numerous words to define worship, but there's one in particular that encapsulates the priority that we should give to worship as a spiritual discipline. And it comes from Webster's Dictionary. It says, worship is to honor God with extravagant love and extreme submission extravagant love and extreme submission now that can't come from a lukewarm heart that can't come from a superficial relationship it has to come from the depth of our heart and from the, um, the, the relationship that we have you see worship should be a natural response to a promise of deliverance from bondage. Now we've all seen people, we've, we've had people come to church who've been released from the drug culture, who got saved having served prison sentences for all kinds of heinous crimes. And generally speaking, and I remember Rob Joy was one of them. Rob Joy was this guy, he wrote a book about it, and he was demon possessed, this guy. He was evil. And, and he admits that he was evil and he got saved and once he got saved and his heart was changed he was exuberant in his love for God because God had done so much for him God had changed him the change had been massive in his life so he wanted to do nothing else but go and tell people about Jesus and about what God had done for him he worshipped God with exuberance because God had delivered him And maybe that's our problem. You've all heard, or most of you have heard, my testimony. And maybe at times I don't recognize how much God has done for me. Because my salvation, my acceptance of Christ didn't come from uh, some massive change in my life. I didn't have to get saved from drug addiction. I haven't been to prison. So maybe it was I didn't recognize the enormity of sin. Because sin, no matter how small it might seem to us, is still sin in God's eyes. So when I see people like Rob Joy and Dennis Tinerino, my friend, the great bodybuilder from America who was a fantastic evangelist, he could walk into a room and it was almost as if people started to worship just because he brought the Holy Spirit in with him and he exuded the presence of God in his life. He was worshiping. Every single moment of his life. And I would say to him, wow, I just want to be like him. Why can't I be like that? Why doesn't the room light up when I walk into it like it does when Dennis does? And it says a lot about the condition of my heart and our hearts. You see, these people were doing something as an expression of an inner attitude or feeling. And their body was helping to exhibit their emotions. You know, in Britain, in England, we're kind of... um, We're reluctant to demonstrate our emotions. So we might be singing, and sometimes I think we sing, and we really kind of feel it, and we mean it, but we're standing there like this. I love you, Lord. I really do. I just don't want to show it too much in case I make a fool of you. I mean, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing that... Holds us back, I think, in getting into the presence of God and experiencing all that He has for us. You see, to the early church in Ephesus, with its mixture of Jews and Gentiles—that's non-Jews—Paul wrote this in Ephesians 2. He said, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." You see, unquestionably, the believers in the New Testament times have been brought together. And it's just as genuinely we've been brought together. We are together here this morning as believers. Come to worship the Lord and we want to be in his presence. But we've also been brought close to Christ. So as I said before, if the Old Testament saints could kind of worship at a distance. And bow down to this God at a distance. The New Testament saints, we who know Jesus are beckoned to get close enough to embrace God. To love him. To pour out adoration to him intimately, to touch God in a deep seated worship with our senses and our emotions and our wills. And he doesn't want us to hold back. He wants us to be free, you know, to worship and to demonstrate that relationship. Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And in Matthew 28, Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's who we worship. We worship Jesus to whom all authority under heaven and earth has been given. The guy who uh, was fully God, fully man, who came and died on a cross so that our sins could be washed away. All we have to do is to put our trust in him. Is to turn away from the selfish life that we led before so true worship, in other words, is defined by the priority that we place on who God is in our lives and where he is in our list of priorities. I ask myself that question every morning when I get up. If I'm tempted to switch the tele on and catch the news, hang on a second. What about God? What about putting him first? What about reading some of the word first to set myself up for the day? And that's what we need to do. And true worship is a matter of the heart expressed through a lifestyle. Of holiness. It's a lifestyle. We don't come to church and promise sure, or we shouldn't, and try and give the appearance of being followers of Jesus. On a Sunday, we need to be followers of Jesus 24 7. And we worship God because He is God. Full stop. Psalm 96 says this For all the gods of the nations are idols but the Lord made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him strength and glory are in his sanctuary you see we've got to worship the one who is worthy simply because of his identity and in this screwed up world of ours where we hear all the time about gender fluidity and uh, different identities well You see, Jesus represents in human form the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent one. And we don't worship God just because he's wealthy. Wealthy in the sense that he can give us anything. Do we worship God only for what he can do for us? Or do we worship him because he's God? And that alone demands our worship. Yes he can meet our needs, he can answer our prayers, but when we focus on the worship of the worthiness of God, not his wealthiness, then that will bring a change in our hearts. This is the promise that when we worship God with extravagant love and extreme submission, God will commune with us. And the promise isn't that we'll feel great or the happy Lord will be lifted, but that God will come. He comes and he communes with us in response to our worship. Psalm 96.13 declares, Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. In other words, when we worship God, he will first inspect our hearts. That's what he's interested in. He will inspect our hearts. The other benefits that we tend to expect because we lift up our hands or shout with our voices are worthless if our hearts are not right with God. We need to get our hearts right with God. We should evaluate our expressions of worship so that through singing, declaring, and giving, you will give to the Lord the glory he deserves. And the promise is that when we worship God in this way, as I've said, he will come and commune with us. And above all, he will respond to our worship by making our hearts more like his. And that's the challenge for all of us. You know, we have all these influences, external influences. Every day we get bombarded with stuff from the world and the different ideologies that the world embraces. And we can get confused, we can... um, find ourselves in turmoil, we can have all those things that God tells us we shouldn't have, we can be anxious we can be fearful we can be worried those things do not come from God and they're not what he wants for us, whatever our circumstances, he wants us to know that he is there he's here with us he wants the best for us and he will take us to wherever we need to be in, his, in accordance with his will and his good purposes but I will sing of your strength I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning it's still morning and we're going to sing of his steadfast love for us so what's worship through song we come to church we gather with other believers and we sing why do we sing? Now, not everyone is a great singer. Not everyone has a great voice. One or all fledgling musicians. And it might not be our greatest passion. So why do we do it? Well, worship is first and foremost about the longing of God for unfettered relationship with us, his people. God loves it when we sing to him and about him. In Ephesians 5 and 18, it tells us this, be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The melody comes from the heart. Yeah, that's what he's looking for. He doesn't care if you're flat when you sing. He doesn't care if your voice is not the best. Although it's great to hear people with great voices singing and great musicians playing great music. But God's really concerned. And I can't emphasize this enough. It's all about the heart. It's about the condition of our heart. And John four twenty three says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Are you one of those people that the Father is seeking to worship Him? What's the condition of your heart today? God loves worship. He longs for it. Think of that. We have an opportunity every day through worship to satisfy the heart of the one who paints sunsets, who breathes life into dust, who forms mountains and galaxies, animals, angels, and humankind with just the power of his voice. Think of that. Just the power of his voice. He creates all those things. And you bring your creator immense joy and satisfaction when you worship through singing. And that's an attitude I want to develop in me. So that when I'm singing here and singing the worship songs led by the great musicians that we have in this church, I want to experience a different level of relationship with my Lord and creator. I want the expressions, the words to come from my heart and that should be the desire of all of us. And the power that will come when we get to that point will be amazing because God is after your heart. And music has this profound ability to reach past our limited understanding and help our hearts connect with the one who is limitless and eternal. In worship we can sing to God songs of adoration, thanksgiving, high praise and unadulterated love in response to his character, his nearness and his devotion. Simply put, in worship we give and receive that which is most important, love. That is most important. Engaging in worship will result in an overflowing and unquenchable joy, as there's no greater experience than that of a perfect God meeting with an imperfect person. You know, if we can think of it like that, that this perfect God wants to come and meet with us. He wants us to kiss him, us this imperfect being that is me and that is you we're all imperfect but the perfect God wants us to draw near He wants us to hug Him, to kiss Him, to love Him to demonstrate from our hearts that we really do put Him first in our lives so we should take time in prayer to reflect on the importance of worship and connect directly with the heart of our Heavenly Father so I hope that we're going to worship um, this morning um, as I bring this short little presentation on worship and preparing for this God has been talking to me more than anyone else everything that I've said it's challenged me it's had me almost shaken in fear not the kind of horrible fear but that fear of God that fear of the Lord said, wow Lord I don't want to be superficial I don't want my worship to be just from my mouth and from my head I want it to come from my heart so let's allow scripture to fill us with a longing to connect directly with our creator through worship Psalm 100 says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord over the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And we should ask God this week to show how much he loves your worship to give us a revelation of his great love for us for you so that his desire for worship will be the foundation of our devotion in John 4 but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him I'm repeating that because it's important. This is what God wants. He's seeking such people to worship him. True worshipers. And we should spend time resting in the presence of God. Asking him to reveal his love for us in a fresh way. And then worship him in response. Psalm 73 says, but for me it's good to be near God. In Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. Your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Zephaniah, the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. Let's take those words, Todd, and if the band want to come back and get ready to, uh, to lead us in some worshipful singing. You see, if you feel the weight of the world is resting on your shoulders at any point today or in the coming week, then just take a few minutes to engage in worship. A small time of worship has the power to reprioritize our lives and make the stresses and burdens of life diminish in the light of God's eternal love. This, this is the key. And if we just take a few minutes to spend time in worship and reprioritize our lives, think about what your priorities are and think about where God actually sits in them, in that list. Where is he? Because if he's not number one, then he's in the wrong place he needs to be number one in our lives so I pray that your day today and the rest of this week will be marked by the peace of the one who knows and loves who knows the love and nearness of the father so let's pray and uh, And then I'll ask the guys to take us into that place where we can truly worship the Lord. Father God, we just want to thank you for loving us so much that you, the Omnipotent One, who spoke everything into existence just by the power of your voice, are interested in us and you desire to commune with us You want us to worship you just for who you are, not for what you can do for us. Father, search our hearts this morning. Reveal to us anything which is blocking our ability to truly worship you. Help us to examine our hearts and make you our number one priority. So, Father, as we sing now, we just ask that you'll commune with us and reveal more of yourself to us, Lord, and help us by your Holy Spirit to love you more, to worship you more, to praise you for all the good things, for everything that you've done in our lives and for all that you will do, and for the sure and certain promise that we have, that when our time on this earth ends, we shall be in your presence, and we be singing your praises. For all eternity. Renewed, redeemed and restored. For this we give you thanks, Jesus. For this we give you thanks, O Lord. May our worship be pleasing in your sight. Amen. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.